We read the Holy Scriptures together this morning in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus 23. This portion of the Law of Moses speaks of the feast days that the children of Israel were called to celebrate in the Old Testament, and we're going to consider one of those this morning. The text of the sermon, then, will be verses 15 through 21. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, even these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In the fourteenth day of the first month at even is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. In the first day ye shall have an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord seven days. In the seventh day is an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of the firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you. On the morrow, after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it, and ye shall offer that day when ye wave the sheaf and he lamb, without blemish, of the first year, for a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the meat offering thereof shall be two-tenth deals of fine flour mingled with oil, an offering made by fire unto the Lord for a sweet savor. And the drink offering thereof shall be wine, the fourth part of an hen. And ye shall eat neither bread, nor parched corn, nor green ears, until the selfsame day, that ye have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Now verse 15 is the beginning of the text that we will consider in the sermon. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that ye brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. Even unto the morrow, after the seventh Sabbath, shall ye number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Ye shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the firstfruits unto the Lord. And ye shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock, and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord, with their meat offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. 
Then ye shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering, and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. And ye shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be an holy convocation unto you. Ye shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. Neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, and holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of this seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls, and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And ye shall do no work in that same day, for it is a day of atonement, to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul it be that doeth any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. Ye shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest, and ye shall afflict your souls. In the ninth day of the month at even, from even unto even, shall ye celebrate your Sabbath. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day shall be in holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. Seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be in holy convocation unto you. And you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly and ye shall do no servile work therein. These are the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering and a meat offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything upon his day, beside the Sabbaths of the Lord, and beside your gifts, and beside all your vows, and beside all your free will offerings, which ye give unto the Lord. Also in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. And ye shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, the branches of palm trees, and the boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And ye shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year, it shall be a statute forever in your generations. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Ye shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths. 
that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, it was no coincidence that our Lord Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. When we hear the word Pentecost, I think that most of us would immediately think of the day on which the Lord poured out the Holy Spirit, and we would be right about that. But I wonder how many of us, when we hear the word Pentecost, would remember that this was one of the feast days that Jehovah required the children of Israel to celebrate in the Old Testament. Now, it would be understandable if we didn't immediately think of that because the word Pentecost does not appear anywhere in the Old Testament. However, we do find in the Old Testament, in several texts, a law that required Israel to celebrate a feast that was known as the Feast of Weeks. We find that in Exodus 34, for example, verse 22, and thou shalt observe the Feast of Weeks of the first fruits of wheat harvest. And again in Deuteronomy 16, verse 10, Thou shalt keep the feast of weeks unto the Lord thy God. The feast of weeks was one of the festivals, one of the three great festivals that God required of Israel in the Old Testament. It was to take place seven weeks after Passover. Or to be more specific, It was to take place on the 50th day after the waving of the first fruits of the barley harvest in the form of a sheaf, which took place during the Passover feast. It took place on the 50th day after the waving of the first fruits of the barley. And therefore, it came to be known not only as the Feast of Weeks, but the Feast of Pentecost. It came to be known as Pentecost in the days prior to Christ, when the Greek language spread throughout the world. Pentecost is a Greek word. It's a Greek word that means 50th, because it refers to the 50th day after the waving of the first fruits of the barley. I said it was no coincidence that the Lord Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit on the 50th day, known as Pentecost. He didn't pour out the Spirit on that day just because he knew that there would be multitudes of pilgrims in Jerusalem who could then hear the preaching of the gospel that would go forth when the Spirit was poured out. But he poured out the Spirit on Pentecost to mark the fulfillment of 
of that Old Testament feast, which was typical and symbolic of higher spiritual realities. So let's consider this morning the Feast of Pentecost. Notice first the main element of that feast. Secondly, the significant timing of the feast. And finally, the joyful celebration of the feast. In Leviticus 23, verse 17, God told Moses to teach Israel the main element of the Feast of Pentecost when he was to tell them this, Ye shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two-tenth deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be bacon or baked with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. The main element of the Feast of Pentecost was these two loaves of leavened bread, which represented the finished harvest of the barley and the wheat out of the fields in the land of Israel in any given year. You see, between the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Pentecost, the children of Israel would be busy in the fields reaping the harvest. The barley always ripened first in the fields, and then the wheat ripened after that. So in the time of harvest, in the time of Passover, they would have reaped the barley, and they would have brought the first fruits of the barley in the form of a sheaf. Then they would proceed to reap the rest of the barley field, and as they were doing that, the wheat would ripen, and they would proceed to, to harvest the wheat as well. After they were finished harvesting all of the barley and all of the wheat, they would thresh the grain. They would beat the grain so that the chaff would be separated from the kernels of grain. Then they would gather together all of those kernels of barley and wheat grain, and they would crush it, and they would make flour out of it. And then with the flour, they would bake bread with the yeast, leavened bread, And they would make these two fresh loaves of bread. Perhaps two loaves because of the barley and the wheat. The two main kinds of grain that God gave to them every year. But before they took a single bite out of one of those loaves of freshly baked bread, they were to bring it to Jerusalem or before the time of King David, to Shiloh, to the tabernacle, and later to the temple. And they were to devote those two loaves of leavened bread to the Lord as the first fruits of the finished harvest in the form of leavened bread. Moses taught specifically in Exodus 34, 22, that this was the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And in our text, the first fruits unto the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ poured out the Holy Spirit on that day of Pentecost. It was not a coincidence. It was not arbitrary. But he poured out the Holy Spirit on that day in order to indicate that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of that feast of weeks 
those two loaves of freshly baked leavened bread pointed forward to the higher spiritual reality, which was Christ himself. In John chapter 6, Jesus teaches us that he is the living bread that came down from heaven, that God has given to us for us to receive eternal life. He says that if any man eats of this bread, he shall live forever. He shall receive everlasting life. He is the bread of life. But more specifically, those two loaves of leavened bread point forward to Christ as he comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God the Son is Christ, who came into the flesh. But God the Holy Spirit has come to us at Pentecost, bringing to us the bread of salvation that our Lord Jesus accomplished. Jesus fulfilled this Old Testament feast. He fulfilled the typology, the rich symbolism of the feast when he poured out the Holy Spirit. And we want to dig into that a little bit this morning. The proof that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of those two loaves of bread, which were the first fruits, can be found in Romans 8, verse 23. There the Apostle Paul says that we Christians have the first fruits of the Spirit. The first fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit is somehow the first fruits. Just as in the Old Testament, that bread was the first fruits of the harvest. What does this all mean? How do we put this all together? And what is the spiritual significance? Well, as you think about the Old Testament symbol of those two loaves of bread, we ought to think about each aspect of that. The children of Israel harvesting the wheat and the barley, threshing it, separating the chaff and the grain, taking the kernels of grain, crushing it into flour, and then baking it into fresh, wonderful, nutritious, delicious loaves of bread. That bread obviously represents the fruits of the harvest as they are put into a usable, edible, nourishing form. The children of Israel would not typically just take the grain and eat that, but they would crush it into flour and bake it into bread, and then they would eat it. And then it would be nutritious, life-giving, life-sustaining, and delicious to the taste, supporting their bodies. That in the first place. But then in the second place, we have to notice that those two loaves of bread represented the first fruits of the whole harvest. They had just finished the harvest. And having finished the harvest, they were able now to make bread. But before they ate that bread, they were to take the first two loaves and bring them to the Lord and give them to the Lord. And therefore, those two loaves of bread represent the fullness of the harvest, the ability to eat bread every day in the coming year. Now, all of that points to the spiritual significance. 
That loaf of bread represents the Lord Jesus Christ himself who comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit to bring to us all of the blessings of the finished harvest of salvation that he has accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead. The Lord Jesus Christ reaped the harvest of salvation on the cross. He came into the world and he came as the sower, not only, but also the reaper. He sowed the seeds of salvation and he reaped the grains of salvation when he gave his own body and soul to the accursed death of the cross. There on the cross, through his obedience and through his suffering, he reaped the whole grains of nutritious, life-giving, life-sustaining salvation. And the Lord Jesus reaped those grains, too, when he arose from the dead. He died on the cross and he arose from the dead, dying not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And some think perhaps that, too, is part of the symbolism of the two loaves. Why two loaves? Not just one loaf, not just one salvation for the Jewish people, but two loaves also for the salvation of the Gentiles. He died for Jews and Gentiles. He rose from the dead as the firstfruits of Jews and Gentiles. And then he baked those whole grains of salvation into the bread of salvation, which he brings to us through the Holy Spirit. On Pentecost, he poured out the Spirit And the Holy Spirit rushed down from Christ, from heaven, into the church. And throughout the New Testament, he continues to pour out the Holy Spirit upon us to give us the bread of salvation. The grains baked into the bread he gives us through the Holy Spirit to nourish our souls unto salvation and eternal life. Just as the children of Israel could take that bread and eat it, and be filled, and be satisfied, and be nourished. So also we receive the bread of salvation through the Holy Spirit. We eat, we are satisfied, we are filled, we are strengthened and nourished to salvation. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings Christ to us and us to Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the gift of faith, So that by faith we take hold of Christ, that bread, Christ who is our righteousness, and taking hold of him, eating him by faith, devouring Christ, we receive his righteousness, and by faith we are justified. By faith we receive the righteousness which we could never achieve for ourselves. And we are satisfied, we are filled with the peace that passes understanding, the blessed joy of knowing we are right with God. Through the Holy Spirit that Christ pours out upon us, he humbles us. He gives us to see our sins, our weaknesses and infirmities. He gives us to see our pride and our anger and our lust. And he humbles us to repentance so that we hate our sins and mourn over them. And in that way of repentance, he gives us to enjoy the blessed bread of forgiveness. 
the blessed bread of knowing and hearing that God forgives my sins and blots them out of his book for all eternity and remembers them no more for the sake of the precious blood of his Son. He gives us this bread of salvation, Christ does through the Spirit, so that we are fed and nourished. And when we are strengthened through that bread of the gospel, the Holy Spirit also sanctifies us so that we go forth in the strength of Christ and we live a new and holy life. We flee from our sins. We fight against our sins. We strive to walk in all the commandments of God in thankfulness for that bread. So that, first of all, is the meaning of the symbolism. Just as the bread represented the harvest in a usable, edible, nourishing, life-giving form, the Holy Spirit brings to us the salvation of the cross and resurrection of Christ in that spiritually usable, edible, life-giving form. But then in the second place, just as that bread represented the fullness of the finished harvest, the Holy Spirit, too, who is given to us is the first fruits of the full harvest of salvation. He poured out the Holy Spirit on the church in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament. He gives to the church in the New Testament something he did not give to the church in the Old Testament. He gives to us the first fruits of the fullness of the harvest of salvation. He gives to us, through the pouring of the Holy Spirit into our hearts, a greater experience, a richer enjoyment, a fuller revelation, and a deeper understanding of all the blessings of salvation. He gives to us, through the Holy Spirit, the deeper revelation of the knowledge of the truth. In the Old Testament, they celebrated the feast, but it was all symbolical. It was all picture language. It was all pointing forward, forward, forward to the coming of Christ. But now in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, he points us to the Christ who has come. He points us to the true Messiah, Jesus. So that looking upon our Savior in the gospel, the Spirit gives us a richer experience of joy and peace and fellowship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. He gives us a deeper and richer revelation of the truth that God is a trinity of persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God has sent His Son into the world, not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son to die for peoples of every nation and tribe and tongue. And he gives to us in the New Testament the blessed experience of hope of the resurrection of our bodies and the life everlasting in a new heavens and a new earth where we will experience the glories of the world to come. All of these and many others he gives to us through the outpouring of the Spirit. But it's only the first fruits. It's only the beginning of that full experience of salvation 
which we will enjoy in heaven. What a tremendous cause for thanksgiving. Now notice in the second place the significant timing of this feast. In the Old Testament, God gave to his people a liturgical cycle. He gave to them a cycle of feasts to celebrate every year. The first feast of every year was the Passover feast. They were to celebrate that on the 14th day of the first month of every year because that was the time when God delivered them from the bondage of Egypt. And so they were to celebrate the Passover feast first. On the 15th day of the first month, the very next day, they were to begin the Feast of Unleavened Bread, also commemorating their deliverance from Egypt, but a different aspect of it. For seven days, they were to purge all leaven, all yeast out of their houses and eat only unleavened bread. On the 16th day of the first month, the day after the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were to bring a sheaf of the barley harvest. The very first sheaf of barley, the first crop to be harvested in the year, a sheaf of it to the temple or tabernacle to weigh before the Lord. 14th day, 15th day, 16th day of the first month. Those feasts in that order. Then they were to count seven Sabbath days after the waving of the first fruits. Seven Sabbath days. And on the 50th day, they were to return to Jerusalem with those two loaves of bread on the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost and wave it before the Lord. This was the timing, and it was all ordained by God with great significance that they were to celebrate every year. Now fast forward to the days of our Lord Jesus' life. And our Lord Jesus himself celebrated these feasts in their proper time each year of his life, thus fulfilling those feasts by his active obedience. And he also fulfilled those feasts by his passive obedience, his suffering, death, and resurrection. It was on the night when he was betrayed that he celebrated the last Passover feast. It would have been the 14th day of the first month, gathered with his disciples in the upper room. He also began the celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread that night. That very next day, he offered his own life, shed his own blood in fulfillment of the shedding of the blood of those Passover lambs for hundreds of years. He shed his own blood as the true Passover lamb on the cross, and he was buried in the grave. And as the children of Israel brought the first sheaf of the barley harvest and waved it in the temple, Jesus Christ rose from the dead as the first fruits of the resurrection 
of all the elect on the last day of history. And then, as the children of Israel began to count seven Sabbaths after the waving of the first fruits, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the 50th day afterward, Jesus poured out his Holy Spirit on the church as the first fruits of the finished harvest. You see the significance of all that timing? First of all, we should see the significance between the Passover feast and the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Passover was first because it was fundamental. The Passover feast was the remembrance of that fundamental work of redemption that God performed for his people in the Old Testament when he delivered them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, when he delivered them from the angel of death through the blood of the Passover lamb smeared on their doorposts, and when he led them out of Egypt in the middle of the night, when there was no time to spare to wait for the leavening of their bread, but they must rush out of Egypt to the Red Sea, and when he led them through the midst of the sea through dry ground. The Passover feast was the yearly remembrance of that greatest work of redemption of God in the Old Testament. If there had never been a redemption from Egypt, there would never have been a single harvest in the land of Canaan. If God had never brought them out of bondage, they would have never become free men able to sow the seeds and reap the harvest year after year. The deliverance from the slavery to Pharaoh was first and foundational for the whole life of the children of Israel in the land of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of freedom and wealth and prosperity and rest and fellowship with God. So the Passover feast was first and fundamental. Only after the Passover feast may the children of Israel proceed to harvest their crops. That's when they waved the first sheaf of the barley. At the time of Passover, the fields of Israel were covered with grain, the barley ready to be ripe, ready to be reaped, and they brought the very first crop to the temple. And after reaping all the barley, they reaped the wheat and brought the finished harvest in those two loaves on the Feast of Pentecost. This timing pointed forward to the order of God's saving work through Jesus Christ. The redemption from Egypt, the blood of the lambs, that fundamental work of redemption points to the fundamental work of Christ through his death on the cross. If you are a Christian, then you know that the death of Christ is the fundamental work of redemption. Without the death of Christ, there can be nothing else. There can be no other blessings of salvation. But through the death of Christ and through his resurrection from the dead, which fulfilled the first fruits of the waving of the barley sheaves, everything else follows. 
having risen and ascended into heaven, he received from God the Holy Spirit and poured out upon the church the finished harvest and the first fruits of the Spirit. A second significant aspect of the timing of the feast is the Sabbath days. We shouldn't fail to take notice of that. They were to count seven Sabbath days after the waving of the sheaf of barley, and then they were to celebrate a Sabbath day. The Feast of Pentecost was a special Sabbath day. We all know that there are six days in a normal week in which we are to work, and then in the Old Testament, the seventh day was the Sabbath day. In the New Testament, God has flipped it around so that the first day is the Sabbath day, and then we work six days out of that rest. In the Old Testament, they worked six days and rested the seventh day. But there was also a special Sabbath day. There were seven weeks, a week of weeks, and that's why it was called the Feast of Weeks. A week of weeks in which the children of Israel were busy working hard, reaping the fields of the grain. And after those seven weeks, each week representing a day of a normal week, afterwards on the 50th day, they would celebrate a special Sabbath of rest. That's what we read in our text in verse 21. Moses said, Ye shall proclaim on the self same day that it may be an holy convocation unto you. Ye shall do no servile work therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your dwellings throughout your generations. No matter what day of the week it happened to fall upon, they must not work on that day. They must go to Jerusalem. They must have a holy gathering with the saints for worship and thanksgiving. And they must rest in all their dwellings. That, of course, points forward to the higher reality of the Sabbath. When our Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead on the first day, he gave us the new Sabbath of the New Testament, the first day of the week. And on the first day of the week, we enjoy the blessings of the Sabbath, the blessings of rest from the burden of our sins. We come to Jesus in God's house when we hear the preaching of his gospel. When he calls us and says, come to me, I am the living bread. And any man who eats this bread will live forever. And when we hear that call of the gospel, we come, we receive him, and we find rest for our souls. And that then points us higher, always higher, to the eternal Sabbath that great and final Sabbath of all eternity, when God will gather us all together for the greatest holy convocation that will never end in the paradise of the world to come. And that will be a time of joyful celebration. The Feast of Pentecost was a picture of that joyful celebration. It was a wonderful time. I imagine that in all of the feast days, the children 
of the children of Israel were excited and eager and would ask their moms and dads, are we going to Jerusalem? Are we going to celebrate the feast days? Are we going to go with our cousins and friends up to Jerusalem again? Yes, the time has come. Let us go. It was a time of great celebration. That celebration involved three things. Notice, first of all, as we have pointed out, it involved the bringing and waving of those two loaves of bread. Having received the harvest in its finished and usable form, they were not to eat it yet. They were to bring it to Jerusalem. Give it to the priests. And the priest was then to take those two wave loaves and wave them before the Lord. He would wave it toward the Lord and back to himself and to the Lord again and back to himself. And that was a sign that what the Lord has given to us, we give back to the Lord. And we do it repeatedly to emphasize that we give it back to the Lord. Verse 20 of our text tells us that those two loaves were to be holy to the Lord for the priest. The first fruits of the harvest, the very first loaves of bread were given to the Lord, to the priests. We are reminded of Proverbs 3, where we are told to honor the Lord with the first fruits of our income, with the first fruits of all of our substance. That's the application. Just as the people of God in centuries of history were called to take the first fruits, not the last fruits, but the first fruits of what God had given to them, and give it to the church, give it to the servants of the Lord, so that they might do the work of the Lord and devote themselves to it. They were to give those loaves to the priests, and the priests symbolically gave it to the Lord, and then the priests ate that bread, and it was a nourishment to them so that they could do their work. That first of all. Secondly, they were to bring many, many sacrifices along with those loaves. Notice that in verse 18. Not just the two loaves, but also ye shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish. Seven beautiful, spotless lambs the best of their lambs, one young bullock, and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord with their meat offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. The burnt offering in the Old Testament was a sacrifice that was completely burned up on the altar. That wasn't true of all the sacrifices. Many of the sacrifices were roasted with fire, and then the priests and Levites would be able to eat it. But the burnt offering was utterly consumed on the altar. And that was a sign that it was completely devoted to God. They were to take the best of their things and burn it up to the Lord as a sign of thanksgiving and complete devotion. That points us to our Christian duty. Our calling as Christians, as we saw last Sunday in Lord's Day 12 of the Catechism, is to 
present ourselves living sacrifices of thankfulness to God. Do you think of the Christian life that way? That you are giving yourself with all that you are and all that you have as a complete sacrifice of devotion to God. Not that we compartmentalize our lives, this part for God and this part for me, maybe a little part for God and a a big part for me, or maybe that throughout our life we are to be constantly trying to give more to God and less to me, but that throughout our life we give our whole to God. That's the picture of the burnt offering. The Christian life is costly, just as this was for the Israelites. We shouldn't think that the Christian life is just an easy thing. Our Lord teaches us that it involves denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. It involves sacrifice. Sometimes it involves hurt and pain when we give our first fruits, when we give our best energies our best efforts to the Lord and when we sacrifice our whole selves as a life of thankfulness to him. We immediately recognize how far we fall short. That's why they also had to bring those sin offerings and peace offerings. That's in verse 19. Then ye shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. Why that? Well, the sin offering, the kid of the goats, was to be slain, its blood shed. Because even our best works are tainted with sin. Even when we're bringing our first fruits to God, even when we're devoting ourselves to God, we think wholly and entirely, even those best works have spots of sin all over them. And so the children of Israel brought those sin offerings. And that also points to the blood of Jesus. Because his blood not only covers and removes and forgives those sins that we recognize in our lives, but also those sins that we consider small, those sins that we might not even recognize, those sins that attach to our best works. And peace offerings, too. Two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. Two little lambs to restore peace between the children of Israel and their God. Because even when we bring our best works and we sin, we need those sins to be covered. We also need to be restored to peaceful fellowship with our God. More reasons for thanksgiving. And then finally, thirdly, the Feast of Pentecost was a time of joyful and thankful celebration. Moses brings that out especially in Deuteronomy 16, one of the parallel passages of Leviticus 23. There he says this, that in the Feast of Weeks thou shalt rejoice before the Lord thy God, 
Thou and thy son and thy daughter and thy manservant and thy maidservant and the Levite that is within thy gates and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are among you in the place which the Lord thy God hath chosen to place his name there. We have to imagine in our minds this troop, this family, this kindred, mothers, fathers, grandfathers and grandmothers and the children with the little lambs and the goats carrying the two loaves of bread on their way up to Jerusalem, smiling and laughing and jumping excitedly on their way to the place that God has chosen to bring their offerings and to rejoice in their salvation. God gives joy to us as Christians through the outpouring of his Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit is joy great joy. Even in our trials and afflictions, we can have this joy. And in this joy, we are led up to the house of the Lord every Sunday. Like the psalmist says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. We're glad to bring our offerings to give to our little children. This is the offering you will put in the collection this Sunday. And we're going to sing praises to God in his house. And we're going to gather for a holy convocation with God's people. And we're going to hear the gospel of the sin offering of our Savior and the peace offering of the cross. And we're going to bring our burnt offerings and our meat offerings and our drink offerings of thankfulness to the Lord for the finished harvest. And all of that with our eye to the future when the Lord Jesus comes again, when we will rejoice in the halls of eternity. And may that day come quickly. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, we give thanks to thee again for the riches of the gospel revealed in the Old Testament in the feast days of the Lord. And Father, may these festivals of days gone by fill us with gladness and joy in our salvation. We thank thee for the pouring out of the Spirit upon us, that we may enjoy all the blessings of the finished harvest. And may those nourishing blessings of the bread of righteousness inspire us and motivate us to devote ourselves holy to thee as a burnt sacrifice with all that we are and all that we have, with our eye toward the fullness of the harvest on the day of the resurrection.